0: You tell people you you want to work with marine mammals and you immediately get pigeon-told. For me, being a young female scientist, you'll you'll be pigeon-told to not be that hardcore scientist but be, I hate the terminology, but this is what people use, um, a dolphin hugger. And for me, fighting against that to prove that I can do the hard science and I am there for... For the real science and, and, and not be fluffy about it. One of the other things I definitely found challenging was was people telling me that it was a big dream and it was you know hard to make to that next step.
1: Welcome to From the Field, a podcast logging real life scientists and their efforts to improve the world one study at a time. I'm Priya Shelley. This episode, I speak with Beck Wellard, a marine mammal scientist and PhD candidate at Curtin University in Western Australia. Beck is currently studying killer whale bioacoustics and population dynamics. Knowing that she would have to face stereotypes and gender inequality while pursuing her career as a marine biologist, Beck still decided to push forward in her killer whale study because of the importance of collecting data. Her first encounter with one in the wild helped too.
0: I do remember the first time I saw a killer whale, I was out at sea and I remember thinking how big they were. Killer whales being the largest dolphin, I had expected them to be big, but my my breath was still kind of taken away. They were they were so sleek and they were so agile the way they moved in the water and they were so fast. But I just remember I had one come right up to the boat, um Her name is Split Tip. She has a a split in the tip of her dorsal. We've been seeing her for many, many years now. And she's really inquisitive and friendly towards the boat. So what an introduction to have.
1: Beck even had a small revelation during her brief interaction with Split Tip.
0: She came right up onto the boat and she came right onto the bow and she turned onto her belly and then she turned back over and her eyeball just followed us the whole way and she went down. And I just remember thinking, wow, all right, they're checking out us as much as we're checking out them. There's, they're, they're really intelligent. There's more going on behind them than I could have ever imagined.
1: Killer whales, also known as orca, have a pretty high profile in today's culture, especially the ones in captivity. But despite this, not much is really known about their behavior in the wild, especially in Australian waters. It turns out that killer whales have an intelligence level that humans are only at the beginning of even understanding.
0: You know, they have different languages. They they live in complex societies. They have strong family bonds. They have distinct diet and language. And these are learned cultural differences. Um, Orcas have evolved this complex culture where animals learn a collection of behaviors from one another. And they communicate with these distinctive calls and this dialect and... They can live for 80 years or more, not much unlike ourselves, and they stay in tight-knit matrilineal groups that are are led by the older females, by their grandmas, and they model specific behaviours to younger animals. And their inquisitive nature and their playful attitude, I I would do anything to to keep following that dream and and pushing through all those boundaries of people telling me that it's too hard to, to work with marine animals. And to do that science, I think that just made me even more determined. You feel like you get to know them, and, and the scientist in me tells me you don't, but you can't help but grow that connection when you see that same animal every year and then you have the anticipation until the next
1: season. And if they've had a new calf, it's even more exciting. And it's with good reason. Beck is among the first scientists ever to monitor killer whale behaviour off the southern coast of West Australia in an area called the Bremer Sub Basin. The Bremer Subbasin just so happens to be one of the most unique deep water ecosystems on the planet because of what it attracts to its waters. So Bremer Bay is found on the southwest coast of Australia. It's a tiny
0: little town. um, And you go 50 kilometres south offshore on that and you'll come onto the Bremer Subbasin. And the Bremer Subbasin area extends over 11,500 square kilometres and it's in water depths ranging from 100 meters to 4,000 meters. And this stretch of ocean—it's just a tiny pinprick in you know in the big blue—and it has such a variety of marine life there. I've worked there for the last five years, and every year I tick off a new species there. It really—it really does blow my mind. So out there we've got um, pelagic cetacean species, such as longs pilot whales, and we have deep diving species, such as beaked whales and sperm whales, and we have small delphinids that we've had, bottlenose and common striped dolphins, um, and we've had false killer whales, but it's not just cetaceans. So we've got pinnipeds and seabirds. Uh, we've had some really rare seabird sightings. Pelagic sharks, sunfish, just the list really goes on and on and on. I've been studying this population of killer whales for nearly five years now, and my research is a first of its kind for this region. Uh, we know very little about the killer whales here in West in, the, in their Australian waters, so we still don't know the main force behind this large aggregation here in the sub subbasin. There are a few theories that are floating around, um, but we still have yet to get to the hard science to to prove what's actually happening there.
1: Several sources point to a phenomenon in the ocean called upwelling, where blowing wind pushes water away from the ocean surface and deeper, colder, nutrient rich water rises from beneath the surface to the top. And all those nutrients are like a beacon for the larger attractions of the ocean.
0: We do think there is an upwelling of some sort, whether hydrocarbons are contributing to that. They may not be the main factor in that, but they may be contributing to it. But we still need to do some more research to figure out what's actually happening and why it's during this small time of the year. Is it is it just through this austral summer or is it happening all year round? We may not know because there may not be um, the right amount of people going through the area during the winter times um, to see that. So we really need to get and. To the, to the bottom of it, um, pardon the pun, to the bottom of the ocean there, just to figure out what actually is and, and have more oceanographers come and explore it a little bit more and, and look into it because it really is an interesting area. And it is definitely an area that needs to be protected as well.
1: Because this area has been left, for the most part, unstudied, it's also unprotected. And that leaves room for exploration on all fronts. There are oil and gets exploration permits
0: off southern Western Australia, but no wells have been drilled there, um, but there are exploration permits held. So we are hoping for full protection. Uh, that is one of the things that the Australian federal government is looking at with the new draft management plan under review. So let's hope that it does get protected because this really is one of those last wild, pristine places that is still untouched.
1: Knowing that the fate of the Sub Basin could potentially fall into the hands of oil and gas drilling, time is of the essence to find out what these killer whales are all about.
0: Very little is known about the killer whales in Australian waters. We know very little about their abundance, their movements, their behaviour, their ecology or population status, which is kind of astonishing given the fact that they are so charismatic and they are the ocean's top predator. So there's no reliable estimate of the population size of killer whales and population trends are pretty much unknown. Most of the information we have on killer whale distribution has been obtained from incidental sightings from fishermen out at sea and other people out on boats Um, Killer whales are listed as data deficient, uh, meaning there is inadequate information to assign a conservation listing for this species in Australia. This is such a frontier of science that we still do need to get that baseline data. And without that, we don't have a leg to stand on. So that's where we all come in.
1: In order to find out more about the killer whales, Beck has formulated a research study based on acoustic data and photo ID data collection, two non-invasive techniques that she uses out on open water at the Sub Basin.
0: So with this acoustic data, I'm looking to describe the Australian Killawile core repertoire to see if the whales here have an Aussie slang. I'm looking to use passive acoustic monitoring to look at distribution of whales within our Australian waters. And I'm, I'm investigating the dialects within our different whale aggregations, so looking from the West Coast to the East Coast. We can detect different marine mammal species that may be in that area. So we use hydrophone arrays to detect the position of a whale producing a sound. And then sometimes we can successfully follow these animals and track them as they move about in the ocean. So this is called, you know, passive acoustic monitoring. And this is a really inexpensive and effective way of observing cetacean distribution, migration, behavior and population density. And passive acoustic monitoring, it's powerful. It's a non-lethal and a non-invasive method that I use for assessing killer whale abundance and trends. And I look at defining their habitat use.
1: But hold on. Some of you may be wondering, like I am, why particular marine life uses this sort of language to communicate in the first place.
0: The ocean is, is far from quiet.
1: So every time
0: I lower my equipment, so a hydrophone, which is an underwater microphone, there's always something that I can listen to. So whether it be sounds that the ocean makes, like waves or sounds that man makes, like ship noise or sounds from animals at like the sea. Uh, many animals yeah, produce sounds, so from the tiniest shrimp to the biggest whales. So why do marine mammals use acoustics? Well, the ocean, it's it's very deep and and light can only penetrate so far below the surface of the ocean. This meaning uh, that many marine mammals, they're living in an environment where they can't rely on their eyesight. So many marine animals have evolved to see with sound, essentially. So they'll use acoustics for navigation, for detecting predators and prey, and for communicating with other members of their species. So sound travels almost five times faster through seawater than through air, so acoustic communication for marine mammals provides an efficient and effective way for them to communicate. So each species of whale and dolphin, they produce a distinctive sound, so including whistles and moans and clicks and buzzes.
1: Just by recording and monitoring these sounds, Beck opens up the potential to locate specific pods all over Australia and eventually beyond. A massive
0: uh, question that just hang over my head, and it's probably one of the biggest questions I do get asked by people, is where are these killer whales going after, you know, you don't see them out, And I was like, that's the million-dollar question. So if we understand what they sound like, I can look at there's noise loggers all over Australia. And I can look through the data of all these noise loggers that have been reporting acoustics and I can see if there are other killer whales within different regions of Australia. So we don't know much about their distribution. So if I can look through all the other data loggers around Australia and figure out if there's another area that the killer whales are passing through or once I know the different, if there are different dialects within our region, if I can see different family groups are travelling to different areas, That would be a huge step um, in learning more about our killer whale population.
1: Photo identification and cataloging, another research method, has always proven to be a helpful way to track sea life and even help the public learn more about the ocean. So photo identification, it's the foundation of cetacean
0: research. It's a non-invasive technique. It's been used by scientists around the world since the 70s to study whale and dolphin populations Uh, The basis of photo identification is that each animal within a population is unique and it has certain physical characteristics and distinctive markings which distinguish it from other individuals. So with the killer whales, I use three diagnostic features. One is their dorsal fin. So I look at their dorsal fin and look for any nicks and notches. And each dorsal fin is so unique to each individual. It's like the fingerprint of a human. I then also use the saddle patch which is directly behind the dorsal fin and then I also use the eye patch which is the big white eye patch behind the eye on the killer whale. You'd be surprised at how much a good photo identification catalogue can do. So it provides information on the population demographics of the species, group structure, site fidelity, movement patterns and and population size. So once a catalogue has been put together – Experts can use it to study everything from, you know, things such as social structure and behaviour patterns to population trends over time. And having a catalogue is also, it's great for public outreach. We want to make people aware of how unique they are and let them track along with us, each individual. I think it helps people connect to what we're studying out there. its It can seem so remote for people, you know, sitting at home, on land and they hear of these killer whales that are so far offshore and they haven't seen one, but once they start to learn their name and they start to track along with the animal, they make that connection. And so we do give the killer whales numbers and we catalogue them numerically, but we also try and give each of our killer whales in our catalogue suitable names. So we've named some of the killer whales in the Bremer catalogue using the Nongar language and Norma is the official language of the Aboriginal people of the southwest of Western Australia, and we name some of these animals from this region to show our respect to our heritage and to the custodian landholders.
1: There's a particular killer whale back his catalogue that sticks out in her mind for a reason that may come as a surprise. I'd like to take a moment now to warn listeners that this particular portion of the story is a little graphic. One of the
0: animals in the catalogue is named Quilana, which is the name for dolphin in the Noongar language, and one of the, I'm trying to think of the other one, another animal off the top of my head, Um, another one is miro, um, which means spear thrower in the Noongar language, and miro was one of the animals we saw in a very unique predation event. In my years of studying the killer whales here in Australian waters, I've been lucky enough to see some pretty amazing things. and. One of the most standout sightings I've had was killer whales off Bremersa Subbasin hunting and killing a beaked whale, except this didn't just happen once, but four times, which is really unique because it's never been reported an observation of killer whales hunting and attacking and killing a beaked whale. We were out at sea, we'd um, had a group of killer whales, I think for about 20 minutes, and all of a sudden their behaviour just changed. They were, they were travelling slowly to start off with and then it was just like the flick of a switch and they were off and they were focusing and flying really, really fast speeds, um, through the chop of the water. It was about four or five metre swell that day. It was quite rough. It is the Southern Ocean, so that's just a normal day, but. Um, I do remember it being notoriously bad that day and they were tracking nearly 18, 20 knots and then all of a sudden we just saw a big smash of water and just whitewash flying into the air and of course you've got your your camera and you're just clicking away and sometimes it takes a while to process what you're actually photographing um, when it's happening all that quick but uh, essentially we had a big whale in the mix there and I have got so many visuals still stuck in my head of, um, there was the calf that was really involved in it, in the attack and a lot of other animals, and it was such an amazing cooperative hunting, and it it really was such a quick and efficient kill. It showed me why they are the top predator of our oceans, and um, not to be too gruesome, but they did kill this beak whale, and, and they ended up peeling its skin off in under 30 seconds. Um, and then they took the, <laughs> the big twail down under the water, and, yeah, there was just uh, blood and oil all over the surface and easily a couple hundred of seabirds trying to pick off the scraps here and there. Um, everyone in the boat, uh, we were all a bit speechless to, to take in what we had just seen. They really showed you how they work together and why they are the apex predator. It was... Um, I've never been speechless, that this was definitely one of those times. And to see a beaked whale. They're they're deep diving marine animals and they can be really elusive. In the Australian waters, it's not common to see beaked whales out at sea. Look granted there are there are over twenty species of beaked whales worldwide, but in Australia most of our information on beaked whales is actually from stranding records so to one see a beaked whale out at sea and then two actually see it get hunted and predated on and not just once it's happened over three years now we've seen that um so it was (laughs) it was definitely one of those days where you just just gobsmacked you again and you know never know what you're going to expect when you head out there (laughs)
1: Miro showed Beck and her team how unique this particular pod's hunting techniques were, which earned Miro her aboriginal name.
0: This animal was really quite active in in hunting and taking this marine mammal down. And so we're like, we need to give a good name for that one. (laughs) So spear thrower (laughs) sounded quite (laughs) fitting. (laughs) We have this joke on board that some people are the orca team and some people are the other whale team. And and I have, I'm definitely part of the ORCA team. I I have so much respect for how Mother Nature works, and for apex predators, and what it takes to take down a prey species.
1: Witnessing an event like this adds ammunition to Beck's arsenal of data to help protect killer whales and their habitat of the Bremer Subbasin.
0: The fact that there, there can be a population of apex predators in our waters, in our own backyard, and we don't know anything about them, to me, it's it's really symbolic. We're not just benefiting killer whales. So killer whale is a charismatic animal and it's something that people are naturally drawn to. And by highlighting people's interest in this animal, it also gives us an avenue so we can highlight the whole ecosystem. We can make them realise that there is a whole ocean out there and we still have so much to learn. So getting people to realise that we're all connected to the ocean and that life doesn't end at the shoreline. Life began in the ocean and I want people to feel that excitement and to appreciate it. I want them to understand there are some beautiful things on our planet that are worth working hard for and that are, are worth protecting. The ocean is space to me it's that's the next that's the next place for discovery i i've never had the mindset that I'd, I'd love to learn what of course as a scientist i'd love to know what's out there in the solar system but for me the next frontier of us exploring should be our own backyard our ocean there are animals that are, are being discovered in there new animals every day where we're discovering new species on this beautiful big blue planet and it does blow my mind that We are, some people are more invested in in looking at what we can find for, you know, planet B when we should be focusing on planet A, um, which is our own big blue planet, and the ocean, It's, it's the lifeline.
1: Beck's strong belief in protecting the waters prompted her to start Project ORCA, an organization dedicated to sharing data on killer whales, which allows the public to become citizen scientists. Connecting
0: research and the general public, it creates a powerful tool for education. So by people contributing photographs to the project, people are contributing crucial information to this whole study. Citizen science, it's widely used for monitoring a diverse range of animal species worldwide. And it's something that myself and everyone at Project Orca are completely supportive of and grateful for. There's so many people in the community who are active in the marine environment. It's, it's hard for researchers to be out in the water. It's expensive. It's costly. And we can't always be out there. And to have that support uh, from the general public and to have these citizen scientists on board, I think it helps build a story and it helps them connect to what we're doing as well.
1: And that simple connection can be an important tool to protect regions like the Bremer Sub Basin from drilling and further disruption that could alter a truly great and unique ecosystem.
0: Kilaowas, they face issues like all marine megafauna, so sharks, fish, uh, other cetaceans, and they face all issues such as pollution, overfishing, habitat degradation. And they're an apex predator, so killer whales, they play a significant role within the ecosystem that they reside. And knowledge of the killer whale population status, that can serve as a proxy for the ecosystem health assessments and monitoring. So once we know more about these killer whales in Australia, we can help protect them and then we also protect the environment they live in, so I hope that my research helps work towards this. And so I can make a positive impact on not only the killer whale population but also their ocean home because we are all connected to the ocean. It's ocean is Earth's life support. You know, 50 to 70% of our oxygen comes from the ocean and that's more than all of the world's rainforests combined. The ocean regulates our climate, it absorbs carbon dioxide, it holds 97% of Earth's water and it supports the greatest abundance of life on our planet. So, well, we at the end of this, like we, we should still have hope. Every one of us can and does make a difference. So I think sometimes you just get so knuckled down with all the, the horrible things in the world and yeah, sometimes you've got to sit back and say, wow. We've just discovered all these cool killer whales off the Australian coast and there are people that care and people that are making a difference. And so we just have to have hope.
1: On the next episode of From the Field. We have on the order of 600 people die from heat wave, heat-related deaths a year in New York City. And that's just the baseline, And that's what no one's even talking about. From the Fields, written and recorded by me, your host, Priya Shelley. Editing and sound design by Dinoosh Parvana. Final mix by Andy Stein. Original score by Dylan Gladhorn. And artwork by Atea Nudacharis. Special thanks to our guest, Beck Wellard. If you enjoyed this episode of From the Field or have something to say... Please leave a rating and review on iTunes. Don't forget to subscribe and please visit fromthefieldpodcast.com for photos, show notes, guest links, and more.